All right. So I got to admit, Mike, uh, <laughs> when we were going through the process of choosing movies, I was a little nervous uh, about this because I knew mm. I knew I one I knew I had to find a roommate connected movie, which like if you look at look at all these lists, uh, it's not a lot of those because I think a lot of a mm. lot of no love for roommates. Yeah, with the uh, the critics, yeah, picks. I think a lot of these roommate movies are, and this is not a shot at them at all because I like a lot of those movies. But in terms of critic response, pretty slight, you know, pretty silly. Um, and I think the only time that a movie like that gets on one of these lists is like when it becomes a cult classic. So I want to talk to you a little bit before we jump into the movie. Do you are you a cult classic guy? Like, are there movies that are in that category? that you get into. And I guess I'm thinking of things like, you know, like I highly doubt you like this, but like Rocky horror picture show is like kind of the ultimate cult classic. Like, and it's interesting because you wanted to look at movies that maybe didn't do so well on release. And a lot of cult classics are like that where they're like, right. Oh God, this is a pile of crap. And then some weird teenager gets a hold of it and it becomes a whole movement. Uh, <laughs> and so, well, it's mainly about a repetition, isn't it? Like, uh, the quotability lot, I too, the... I think comes in a lot. For sure. Well, yeah, the the video generation, um, I'm certainly guilty of that. Mm -hmm. um, I assume you would be as well, where there's just like favorites that I have from especially my teenage years where you know you don't have a lot of money or access, which is different from what teenagers would be going through now with streaming services uh, where they have, you know, uh, I mean, way more access than we could ever have hoped for when we're the paying dream. 25 to 25 to 40 dollars for a dvd and we were fucking thankful for it because it's like i get to own this i don't have to just go rent something over and over which meant that there are films that i do have to check myself where it's like i may have watched them hundreds of times <laughs> but that doesn't so in my mind they're like that was a massive roaring success like you could not get away from uh go in 1999 mm. Because I watched the DVD over and over again, and you know, you talk to someone now, they're like, "What? Who's in that? What?" And it's like, "Yeah, it's the Sarah Polly Christmas movie." And of course, you know, they didn't want you to stop talking to them and hope the conversation <laughs> just ends quickly. Um, so yeah, I think the cult thing is strange as far as it almost becomes. Does it become like a dirty word to you? Because I, I when you say something like that, I think of. Uh, Donnie Darko, which is a movie that I talked about on Trilogy and Theory with my co-host Webb, who's basically responsible for putting mm -hmm. your back against the wall with a critically acclaimed darling on roommate movies with American Daisy. That's what he selected prior to this. Um, I think of Donnie Darko <laughs> because I I watched that the fall it came out, uh, not theatrically. Like I was in college at the time, mm -hmm. so I saw like some sort of like bootleg cam version of it because it did, <laughs> but. I still was like, oh, yeah, I hear this is like this little independent movie. So uh, <laughs> sure. it becomes an icky word because not to sound hipster, but it's like something that becomes like a uh, cult classic. Now that we think of like the Snyder cut where it's like, even if, say, you like Zack Snyder, what he was doing in the DC universe, do you want to distance yourself mm. from like the, the lunatics <laughs> that are demanding it? Donnie Darko, a similar thing. Like there were people of a certain generation that became like obsessed with it. And right, right. So it's weird to me. Um, I think it, it creates a barrier of entry. If you're coming, yeah. if you're Johnny come lately to something to where it's like, this has already been established as something mm. to obsess over. And I think that right. scares me off of those films. So like Rocky horror picture show, how do I watch that as a movie now? When my mm. first experience with it w was going to a theater and standing next to uh, a man 
uh, in stockings at the urinal <laughs> next to me in full on costume. And I'm like, you know, this is already its own thing. Like it's, it's a club that's not asking for them. me to join it anymore. <laughs> and so I think it becomes a little bit difficult to yeah. just watch it as a normal movie at that point when it's, it's amassed such a, a following. You know, bringing up like Rocky Horror, like I was never into Rocky Horror, but I had a bunch of friends that were in high school and it was something that like. You didn't just go buy the movie, you know, you had it like passed to you through other people and it was just like, oh, I got to sit with you, got to watch this or we got to go to this event and you, everyone sings along and acts it out. As opposed to right. just it, something you're watching by yourself and it probably would be pretty yeah. fucking weird if you're just like, well, it's Saturday night. I'm alone. I guess I'll throw on Rocky Horror and watch it for the right. first time. Probably not even the best way to watch it. I don't know. All of my emotions feel the same, feel the same. You don't like where this is going. Look away, look away. And, and I find myself wondering when the movie we're going to talk about today is with Nala and I, and I find myself wondering, cause I've watched it a couple times now, both by myself. And I, even though it's well thought of, I do kind of struggle with it. Why not get any soup? Coffee. Why don't you use a cup like any other human being? Why don't you wash up occasionally like any other human being? Dare you? How dare you? How dare you call me inhumane? I didn't call you inhumane. You merely imagined it. Calm down. Right, you fucker. I'm going to do the washing up. No, no you can't. It's impossible, I swear. I've looked into it. Listen to me, listen! There are things in there. There's a tea bag growing. You haven't slept in 60 hours. You're in no state to pack up. Wait till the morning, we'll go in. This is the morning. Stand aside. You don't understand. I think there may be something living in there. I think there may be something alive. What do you mean? Rat? It's possible. It's possible. The fucker will rule the day. Um, as, as a movie itself. And I wonder how much of that is because I didn't have a communal experience. I didn't have like four or five people who are like, this is great. Let's all watch it together. Because it feels like that kind of movie that needs that. And it's, it's actually another one of the reasons I picked it. Because I, I know this movie is very highly thought of especially in the UK. It's a huge cult phenomenon there. And like, I was looking up, you know, it's like, it was something like number 19 or something on like, you know, best British movies of all. And I was like, what the, what, what am I missing here? And I think maybe that's a part of it is missing the communal aspect of it and people actively enjoying it. Like, I think if I saw like an event at a theater um, with this, where it's like all the fans come out and they're all excited about it, I might get swept up in it. Um, but what about you? Had you had you actually watched this movie before I, you know, forced you uh, in our podcast I, to do it? I don't uh, know if I'd even heard of it before, honestly. Like, it, if I had, it was in, you know, most totally, like, sort of passing way where, uh, and I have to mm -hmm. admit here, this, you know, this, so if someone's just checking out our show because this is the film that you've selected, uh, I never was a Richard uh, E. Grant guy. Never, I find him mm. kind of annoying to look at, and he usually is playing uh, a very abrasive character. Uh, which and you have this to blame, right? This I guess so. I guess this was kind of you know typecasting him in that way, which is funny because I he had a very like genuinely sweet moment a few years ago where he was nominated for Can You Ever Forgive Me? And I, I remember, uh -huh. I don't want to say it was like a viral thing, but, you know, in the truest sense, I just stumbled across it on Twitter. Someone just said, hey, here's a, like, 
video of him reacting to his nomination. He was so incredibly gracious and proud uh, and like moved by it, like the sort of respect being thrown his way. And I was like, okay, now, now I feel like a shit because I'm like, I don't like that guy's face. I don't like the, but it's mainly the type of roles he plays. Uh, the player is one I just had on one of the mm. truly rare occurrences where I'm just watching something for pleasure with no plans to make it a podcast, <laughs> which then strangely right. makes me feel bad about myself for like just enjoying movies. I'm like, should I should I call someone and say, should we podcast? There's no the content. Player? Yeah. What, what am I doing? I'm wasting my life here. Uh, and in that film, briefly, and, you know, the player is kind of touching on uh, very sort of broad characterizations or i guess mischaracterizations of like you know famous people or at least you know the, the playing their assigned roles he is very in your face uh film mm. uh, director or aspiring film director that uh is telling the studio executive you know what life is and, and you know of course becomes a sellout like all the rest <laughs> this film though i pretty quickly was motherfucking you uh once i got into it because <laughs> i knew it <laughs> because um, you know, I just, I, I didn't read anything about it. You just said, this is your selection. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think I texted you and said, thank you. It's on HBO max. So that made it easy for yeah. me. And, um, it's ugly. It's an ugly movie. Uh, it's about two, maybe not ugly as far as their actual <laughs> normal physical presence, but two guys who are in a pretty ugly point in their life. Um, if you go to IMDb, the video that you click on, uh, which is you know a still image until you hit that play button, is Richard E. Grant uh, looking like he's mid-chewing or getting to spit food in that tavern. Mm -hmm. This is not selling you <laughs> on like, oh, that's going to be like a good time at the movies. And I tend to struggle with, and I'll, I'll go back to, it's a different type of movie, and I'm, I'm not just doing this because it's the dumb American thing, although there's a little bit of that. Um, Train spotting is one that my younger brother, mm. when it came out, was really into. And I really struggled with it. I didn't like it at first. I, I didn't like following these kind of seedy, you know, quote unquote mm. low life people um basically live their aimless, disgusting lives. Now that's a movie about drug addiction, and that's primarily the plot of it. I wouldn't say this right. one is primarily about addiction necessarily, although you know there's certainly some substance abuse going on when it comes to alcohol. Yes, um, <laughs> but it is kind of about that purgatory-like period in these two young men's lives. That's that that time where they're they're shifting. They're going to be doing this, but they're not yet there. Mm -hmm. They're you know they're going to be great actors. They're going to get that part, but we're just going to follow them in the downtime, in the in-between time. Which really means you need to sort of enjoy their company to a certain extent. But these are two guys who don't even seem to, well, at least for the eye character, at times seems to be really apprehensive about the man that he's spending his time with. Um, so it's a challenge. It's a challenging film. Now, by the end of it, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I can't even tell you what, what scene it was where I've, I kind of finally got in the groove of hanging mm. out with these guys. But I, it definitely was not in the first 20 25 minutes where I'm like, God damn it, Dave, like you and your, your list, Jesus Christ, just, you know, go back to unfaithful Jesus, like something more palatable where it's just, you know, sex and murder and, you know, nice things. But, uh, this. Yes. but yeah, at a certain point, you know, I, I guess it's just it, the movie just sort of bends you to the will because the characters don't really change that much. 
So eventually, if you're going to be watching it, you kind of just have to accept who they are in that particular moment uh, and stop waiting for the, the character growth or arc. Although, slight spoiler alert, <laughs> I guess there is a little bit of it in, like, the very final scene. Like, that's... Yeah. I think that's actually my biggest issue with the movie is, like, they get they get so consumed with, as you would say, getting down in the mucky muck uh, with these two characters. And you have your and I character, who is never named mm-hmm. in the film. Um, I think he survives uh, being seen as kind of the good character because with Nile is just so gross and aw- like he's you know he's drinking lighter fluid. I mean it's like it's like I mean there's there's a lot going on in this movie. So I just want to read you uh, what people think of this movie, Mike. So uh, in 1999, the BFI voted it as the 29th greatest British film of all time. Um, in 2000, the readers of Total Film. Uh, said it was the third best comedy of all time, and uh, it was ranked number one eighteen in Empire's five hundred greatest films ever made. Um, so this is this is one of those where I'm like, maybe you just had to be there. <laughs> I mean, it's I I chose it not only because of the roommate aspect, but and this will make sense when we get to our next episode, but because these two go on a trip somewhere right. together, and they're and you're expecting some kind of growth and. The other thing that makes me uncomfortable, and I know a lot of this is the time, but kind of the predatory gay character uh, yep. in this movie, it's yep. rough. Yeah, it's, that's now. Yeah. So I read that's that's based on uh, that uh, Franco Zeffirelli. Is that do I have his name right? The Romeo and Juliet guy. Yep. Mm-hmm. So this is grounded in uh, Bruce Robinson's experience, where I guess he was writing from the and I character as far as mm-hmm. what he went through. And that's, I mean, you can't argue with that. If this is something he actually experienced, the problem that I think you and I have probably discussed before is the, you know, the the hypersexual nature of a gay character. Whether or not he's, you know, the uh, the sidekick to usually like a white woman falling in love, uh, mm-hmm. e- even something like a, a film that I do like, which uh, you know, I guess could appear on this podcast, which is uh, Friends with benefits because i don't think that got great uh-huh. reviews uh but boy no. do i like seeing pretty people like uh mila kunis and justin timberlake fall in love to me that's what a rom-com's about you know just, just put all right. that and it's a movie i still haven't seen okay. so it's another movie you can force me to well, watch I'll, so. uh, I'll have to look and see what the rotten tomato score is but you know you have woody harrelson playing a hypersexual gay man who is like you know works in the office with justin timberlake comes on to justin timberlake not as aggressively uh, to where you're so big. I, I think there's a line in this film where it's like, you know, it's if basically like if I, if you don't uh, give yourself to me, I like, I'll take it. Like he, uh, the, the British like slang of like uh, you know, him being a burglar. Humiliate me, humiliate me. I adore you. Tell him if you must, I no longer care. I mean to have you even if it must be burglary. It's not me, it's him. In this case, I mean, like, rape <laughs> in that context. Um, that's a little bit different. And, you know, in fairness to, if there are any people listening to a, a With Nell and I podcast that are like, hey, now, don't talk shit about uh, Friends with Benefits. Like, I don't know where those two meet. Um, <laughs> I will say that um, that particular film also is very uh, open about uh, the tropes of a rom-com. So you could maybe excuse mm-hmm. Woody Harrelson playing the gay best friend part but yet again man he's he's all about sex all the time yeah. and uh yeah you know i mean the 
gay individuals I've been around, I wouldn't necessarily know. Like in real life, it's not like they, they start immediately telling me about their sex life. Uh, they certainly right. don't come on to me. And when I tell them I'm straight, that they're going to, you know, be become a burglar, which enraged <laughs> me all <of> that. <laughs> but does it fit in the context of the film? Kind of. And that everything yeah. seems uh, dangerous and at an end. Like you, I think when you're watching the film, you assume, assume someone's going to die, even though this isn't about bank robbers. You feel there's going to be an overdose. There's going to be an accident. Uh, this is everything like your, your parents would have told you, like, you know, that, that sort of wasteful 20s period of your life. Like, you know, you, you could hit that yeah. dead end. And this is about sort of facing that dead end head on, especially from the Richard Grant performance here it's like embracing oblivion and to a certain extent <laughs> so yeah it, it's funny to me like so you're mentioning how respected it is uh, in the british film industry it makes me question myself i'm just like man i don't i don't feel like i hear about this film like it, i may have heard of the title but it's like even with the newer cinephiles and this isn't like an old film this is based at the end of the 60s it's about the end of that decade but it's from the right. end of the 80s it's from 87 it's not that far removed i don't ever hear this one getting brought up and maybe that's just you know talking to too many american film snobs but i don't know about you dave but even american film snobs they love to go to another country and, and show you this thing that you should have seen so i'm kind of surprised oh, yeah. that it came down to you as the <laughs> right? film snob to do that for a podcast yeah it's interesting it's a movie that um, I had never heard of before, I think, like, four or five years ago. Like, this isn't something that's, like, been on my list to watch forever. Um, and someone mentioned it to me, and then I said that I had never heard of it. And they gave me, they were just like, what? Are you, what do you mean? This is a, what do you mean you've never heard of it? So I think, and that's why I kind of started this talking about cult film, because I think within that small group of people, this is something that they made all their friends watch, right? This is something that, like, everyone has to see this. How could you not have seen this? So I don't think it, it doesn't shock me that you hadn't heard of it because um, I hadn't before it was recommended by some random person. And I was like, OK, I'll check that out and didn't, you know, get back to them about what I thought of it because I wasn't like I didn't listen you know, to the podcast, says, <laughs> subscribe to my podcast. That's how we have conversations. Well, now. well, also, when someone is like, this movie is so great. And then you're kind of like lukewarm. I, like, I don't despise yeah, this movie. Your heels but, like, a little bit then. It's like, oh, this yeah. is a conversation I look forward to when you're like, yeah, it's all right. Right. I guess. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be like me making someone watch Playing by Heart, and they're like, eh, it was okay. I was like, how dare you? Is that uh, when you so and I really became friends? Yeah, that was our, our initial movie connection, because I was I was amazed that someone else had seen it. I think it was just, oh my god. I still <laughs> I still own a copy of it movie? on DVD. Yep. Yep. Yeah, for you, that's that's a lot. You're not big into the physical media, so I know that's, uh, <laughs> that's an important movie. Uh, so this movie, I think the most interesting thing it it really tackles to me, because like I think both these characters are so like if you look at the and I character in a vacuum without with now, it's not like, you know, it's not like this great dude that you're like really, really rooting for. He's stuck, too. So I think the thing I find most interesting is when they first leave, you have this idea that they have this idea of, well, we get out in the country and we're going to be able to relax and it's going to be great. Right. And then they get in the country and it's just a different kind of awful. So I kind of I kind of <laughs> like that aspect of it where it's like, no, you, this is about you. It's what you bring. This is about your life. <laughs> the awfulness yeah, that you is can't... around you. Uh, it is, right. of course, amusing that these two uh, 
you know, currently failing theater actors decide to go out and, and live in the woods and try to hunt right. for their own food and all these things, uh, right. which just, I think, is a little bit honest maybe to the audience you're, uh, you have that maybe you want to kind of see bad things happen to them. It's, <laughs> and it's right. funny because it's not that they... I'm trying to think of the terrible things they do. Uh, I would say maybe just taking advantage of and stealing from this uh, guy who attempts to rape one of them. So at that point, you're like, well, fuck it. I don't care what they steal off this guy. Deserves yeah. It. yeah. But other than that, uh, the abuse is mainly just towards each other. It's such an incestuous mm-hmm. film. There's not really too much outside company for them to have until the very, you know, the very end of the film when they do finally return home. And they've now got two more roommates. They've got a drug dealer uh, sitting on their on their couch, and a very strange sort of extended uh, bit of philosophy from him. Which <laughs> I guess the '60s. That's just I got. I just could not have lived during that time period. I just cannot imagine. <laughs> just like that, those are just the normal expected ways of conversing with someone is just speaking a monologue, and they don't even have the mm. uh, the, the merit of being behind a microphone. To produce it for the masses like we do, Dave. I mean, that's that's the time. Right. If you're gonna monologue. mumble for 25 <laughs> minutes, just at least publish it. Good lord, make something of yourself, Jesus. <laughs> but it was interesting that there was a. Uh, I was reading there was a quote from one. I think from one of the actors. Uh, it probably I think Paul McGann, who I, I just wanted to bring up that uh, you know this podcast is uh, basically a spin off of a podcast directed by mainly because uh it's the same two fucking hosts and the, the other element is that you know you're still able to keep the, the sort of list structure and then I'm I'm furiously looking up friends with benefits uh 68% on rotten tomatoes <laughs> hey, that maybe right. I think 70 is I can't do a 70% that should be the cutoff yeah the, the mm-hmm. friends with benefits rule that we're establishing now so I can get that one <laughs> in um but the David Fincher was such a fan of this film that he tried to get uh, the th- three principal actors in Alien Three, and was yep. unable to get Richard E. Grant uh into I guess the yep. love interest role, if you want to call it that. In Alien Three. Yeah. Uh, if you want to hear more about that film and Dave uh pull his hair out, uh, go to a podcast directed by on our <laughs> our last month. That's right. Yeah, it actually led to a kind of a fruitful relationship with that actor who replaced him because Charles Dance also in Venture's latest film, Mank. Uh, so it's like, it's a, it's a very, you know, sometimes, sometimes your heroes let you down, Mike, uh, and David <laughs> Fincher loving with the hell and I is very disappointing to so me. So are you more down um, on this than, than I am? Cause I, I came out very down on it and then eventually just sort of accepted it. I just sort of accepted the tone I of think, it. you know, this is where, this is where people pumping movies up and expectations really can kind of bite you. I, you know, I was I felt like I was sold a false bill of goods here where like <laughs> it was like this is great, you're gonna love it, you're gonna la-. and there's moments in this that are funny. Like I think particularly uh the scene where they almost get in a fight at the bar. Whatever that that doesn't like perfume. Don't have them. You're in danger. Got to get out. I've been called upon Poor fucker said that. I called him a ponce. And now I'm calling you one. Ponce! Would you like a drink? What's your name, Matt? Fuck! I have a heart condition. I have a heart condition. You hit me, it's murder. I'll murder the furious! 
my wife having I don't know what my acquaintance did to upset you, but it's nothing to do with me. I suggest both go outside and discuss it sensibly in the street. It's hilarious. I think that's really well done by Richard E. Richard e. Grant, where he's kind of like, at first, like, bringing on the fight, and he's like, uh, I'm going to be out here. You guys take care of whatever you need to do. I think that's a really, really funny sequence. And, it, and they're and demanding it really cakes. Works. And the, the finest yes, wine. That's also that's very good. good. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I also and like I think... Richard E. Grant behind a, a sort of low stone wall, uh, like eating the groceries while his he leaves the other friend <laughs> to challenge a bull. Shut the gate! Shut the gate! He didn't shut the gate! Shut that bull! Shut that bull! <laughs> Grab its ring! Keep your bag up. I'll find it. Hey! Show no fear. Just run at it! But well, I can't be sensible. Kelly the Buster's about to run at me. Well, he's running! Yes, yeah, I know he is. Wants to get down there and have sex with those cows. Shut up! Run at it! Shouting! Do as he says. Start shouting. Won't go in. The coward you are, Whistnell! An expert on bulls you are not! Um, and yeah, <laughs> yeah I, basically Relatable. Him, him being an asshole. And I guess that goes back to what I was positing that <laughs> is the pleasure in seeing the possibility of bad things happen. To these characters, what drives us through the narrative, uh, you know, so to speak, the narrative that we have here is because that seems to be when both <laughs> you and I got to attention. It was like, okay, uh, something <laughs> violent's about to happen to one of them. I agree, but also these two these two pasty british men like look like they're going to fold <laughs> like a <laughs> like a cheap table um so it's like i don't know that like if something violent did happen to them if i would completely recoil from this movie cuz i'm like you know neither one of these guys can take a punch like this is going to end really poorly for either of these guys and the as you were talking at the beginning of this as we were kind of talking about the you know country versus city uh, I started thinking of your your wonderful wife, who would must who if she saw this would be like uh, county folk. Like this is <laughs> yes, my my wife, the city girl. Uh, who, that's right. Uh, I mean, she you know, she's, in the big big city of Lexington. That's right. Yes, she's you know, the metropolitan, very progressive lady. <laughs> Uh, believes in open borders for our country, but not for the city of Lexington when it comes to <laughs> other Kentuckians. <laughs> That's right. Fine. That's any right. any international uh, people want to come into Lexington, bring fine. In. Great. Great food, great culture. Bring it on. Fellow Kentuckians from the red eh, part of the state. Stay where you're at. Don't come buddy. to the blue this bubble is... at all. <laughs> I say that, but then she, she hates uh, the uh, Louisville people, too. So it's it's just Lexington she's out to protect, yeah, apparently. just... Just protect this little yeah. bubble. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like also I would have liked this movie a lot more if there was an actual arc. I don't think there is. Um, it does It does feel like it's kind of a day in the life movie or a weekend in the life, I guess. And then things radically change for no reason. Like, I don't feel like the and I character has learned anything other than his friend is, is a crazy person, which he should have known already. Like this is so it's like and then he's re he's gifted from the gods an acting job and then he leaves gets a haircut and that's kind of looks cleaned up right um, right you know refuses to stay for a drink we can drink and walk uh, in the rain together but right. even then 
Uh, I do I do like their parting because I'm sure he wouldn't present his party to me. Waste time for a drink. I don't have to. All right. I walk with you through the park. We can drink it on the way. Yeah. It's sad in the sense that okay, there was was there anything true? Here and there's the expression of, of friendship as they're parting, <laughs> but when they're together in the mucky muck, as you said, uh, the only you know expressions you get towards one another is is hate, blame, uh, you know, wishing bad things to happen to the other. Um, it's this you know strange addiction to uh, being around a fellow failure to maybe make mm. yourself feel better. And so yeah, as soon as one mm. of them it's a whiff of success or moving forward. Uh, I, I think that Withnell is looked at as uh, as some sort of disease or some sort of plague right. carrier where it's like, I gotta, I gotta get away from that, which I agree. I think you're meant to agree that, yes, <laughs> yes. you cannot yes. stay in this period forever. Um, I, you know, I, I wonder if it plays different to... Uh, clearly not. I, th- I mean, I don't think that a lot of its fan base is like coming from the 60s or anything. But uh, it does play... Um, the sort of like wistful like remorse for like a, a time that could have been but for the most part was fucking wasted <laughs> like most people involved right? like they got to live it you have the drug dealer at the end saying like you know this there'll never be another decade like this this is, was the greatest time to be alive and it's just <laughs> funny the setting and the people that you're looking at as that's being a spouse and you're like all right bring on the 70s like let's <laughs> bring on the 80s let's just <laughs> turn the page um, so it's it's hard, I think, for you and I to maybe get into. I I don't know what what time period in our life, because uh, we're we're fairly close in age. Um, you know, even though you're decades older than me, I'll, I'll grant yes. you that courtesy. <laughs> like a modern viewer, what is is there a time period we're gonna look back on wistfully? I mean, I think the pre-Trump years for sure is a pretty good. <laughs> All of a sudden, it became yeah. Yeah. nostalgic. I'm nostalgic for right. it already. Um, I don't know that we will, because I think that particular time in history was such a, I mean, and using this term as it is actually meant for, like a revolutionary time in culture, uh, the way things change, whether that's because of drug use or because of political machinations or whatever you want to call it, things changed drastically. And I don't know that we've had that. I mean, like there are movies now that try and look back nostalgically at the 80s and they seem to kind of fall on their face. A lot, like just recently, you know, you know, one of the biggest, you know, releases in the world, even though it was all online at this point, was Wonder Woman 1984. Um, And I saw a lot of people, you know, recoiling from the 80s aspect of it. So it's like, I don't know that we're ever going to have that again. The other thing I found interesting about this movie, I wanted to talk to you specifically about this now that I'm friends with most of your friends from Kentucky. There's a certain amount in male friendships of that blame and that attacking, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. you're just going to get that. So I've, but in this movie, I found it, I found difficulty in like, okay, are these two actually really friends? Where in other movies with male friendships, you have that same attacking and that same, you know, pulling pranks on people, whatever it may be, but there's a balance. And where do you think the line is? And do you think this movie could have benefited from, you know, them actually connecting at mm. some level instead of just this kind of, I mean, almost like hatred 
of each other, like just yeah, constant. It, it just seems like uh, circumstantial uh, that they both right. were in the same place, same time. They're in the same uh, attempt at a career that field um, that they would just fall in together. And I, I'm trying to think of friendships I've had like that where uh, <laughs> it's like a guy. I don't know who like uh, we need another guy to play basketball, and he sort of dropped in, and then the dynamic shifts where it's like mm. the guy just kind of keeps hanging around like a, a stray cat, <laughs> and you're like, yeah, this is, <laughs> yeah, there's, a, I don't know, there's a shift in the waters here, and you can tell, and it becomes awkward. Um, to me, these these two, it, you know, in a strange way, it's like they are the outcasts from other peer groups, <laughs> where it's like there's this negative energy, and they mm. have just found. Uh, the person that you know that, that will, I guess, not accept them. But there's no alternative. I don't think for either one of them there's an alternative for this particular point in their life where they can <laughs> they can fail this theatrically, <laughs> like they can go. To, <laughs> like, yeah, um, no one else would put up with this no. nonsense, though. <laughs> so I, I I don't know. I mean, I you know I, it maybe could, but I, I think that the film. The the film is nothing if not honest about how harsh it is to its characters, to the viewers, mm-hmm. as far as the the company you're going to keep for the the next. God, was this movie two hours, Dave? Did you have me sit there? Nope, not quite. Uh, an hour forty seven, and mm, close enough. <laughs> yeah, maybe you know just just being upfront about it. Um, well, and it's not a quick movie. It's not something that moves along at a clip. It is a slow movie. It mm-hmm. does feel like it feels like a two hour movie. I think. <laughs> yep. Because it's not like there's a bunch of big action beats outside of the bull. I think that's <laughs> that's the only moment. But other than that, it's usually two to three people in a room. Like, it is very British in that way. It's very, like, drawing room comedy uh, going on. So maybe that's why it makes all these lists. <laughs> I've, I've lost a lot of respect for the BFI now. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> to this movie. I'm wondering if this will be the last episode subtitled with BFI <laughs> ranking uh, involved. Uh, Friends with Benefits. A brisk 109 minutes. Uh, there you go. Feels far more brisk than this, I assure you. Yeah. So look forward to that episode, which is not, <laughs> not, I stress, the next one. This would be... This, and not even scheduled. No, since. this would just be a natural, like, oh man, that was nice. <laughs> Maybe I'll throw that on today. That was pleasant. No, I have threatened you, going back to the podcast directed by days. Oh, I think before this, like, you've been wanting me to watch this movie for years now. It like I was just thinking about this actually, uh, because I was going through old recordings of previous shows. How long I've known you, and like, I mean, we've been recording together for like five years. It may be longer than that, Dave. I think yeah, six coming up on uh, yeah, six, 2000, yeah, 2015, yeah. somewhere in that period, early 2015. And I think at least three of those years, you've been on this road trip bandwagon. That's right. Like Dave, you got to watch. This, so, so you know, Todd Phillips got a lot of love. Strangely, for Joker, uh, you know, gets all the Oscar nominations, and I've long held that uh, his best film was his first feature. I, I believe he made a mm-hmm. documentary film about uh, college frat. I think uh, mm-hmm. before this, that got a little publicity. So DreamWorks was like, "All right, um, yeah, put Stifler in a." a road trip comedy uh you can have your frat boy humor that'll apply because all you know frats everywhere are watching documentaries about themselves they'll then naturally <laughs> move on to one with breck and meyer as the worst romantic lead uh of all time 
and uh, then we'll hang our hat on the the Tom Green wave that was happening in the yeah. late nineties. So yeah, I think I know why you're going to say that about Breckenmeyer, but I'll save that for our episode proper. He's short. He's very very. I short. knew it. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> so yes, I will attack uh, people that are uh, challenged uh, by height and you know all manner of forces on this planet. The, the short people. As uh, we get into the greatest Todd Phillips film of all time, Road Trip. 